It's great to have everyone here with us this morning. In the sports world, we just finished up what is known as March Madness. March Madness is, uh, for you non-sports fans, it's the NCAA basketball, National Basketball Tournament. It's called March Madness because the top 68 teams in the nation are selected. And within the course of just a few weeks in the month of March, they play this single elimination basketball tournament where it comes down to two teams, one of which, of course, will win the national title. Last night, we saw the final four. And then Monday night, tomorrow night, we'll see the championship game. Now, many of these games, they come down to the last second shot. Often the, the coach will call timeout with just a, a, just a few seconds on the clock, and he'll huddle his team together, and they'll, they'll write out a, a play uh, to be able to win the game. And in that huddle, the coach will place the, the burden upon one player to make that winning shot. One player, one man to do the job so they might advance towards the national championship. Now, the player knows his responsibility. And of course, the whole squad on the field, they, they work together to make that a success. And when that final shot is made, there is jubilation. There's exceeding great joy. There's jumping all up and down. There's fans running onto the court with hysterical happiness that their hero had just made the final shot. For you soccer fans, it's like when that guy scores the goal and he does the whole knee slide and everybody comes running onto the field and collapses upon him. I wonder if any uh, ribs get broken in situations like that. Well, brothers and sisters, those are the feelings that we should have for the one man, our hero, the Lord Jesus Christ, who won the victory for us. On this Lord's Day, on this Resurrection Sunday, 2018, we as God's people should have jubilation, exceeding great joy, and hysterical happiness that the one man, our Lord Jesus Christ, has gained the victory for us. Amen? Amen. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm has gained the victory for him. And not just for him, but for you. For you. God the Father placed the pressure of the victory of this one man, his son, our Lord Jesus. And through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ gained the victory for our eternal salvation. Through his accomplishments, this one man, through the accomplishments of Jesus Christ, sin has lost its power and death has lost its sting. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. 
Crown him the Lord of life who triumphed over the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. The Bible is full of prophecies telling us about the victory that this one man, Jesus Christ, would accomplish for us. Now, a prophecy, of course, is a divinely inspired foretelling of events. See, God inspired men to write down certain events so that we would recognize and be able to identify the Messiah. And this morning, I want to focus on two of these prophecies. One is Isaiah's prophecy. This first prophecy that we'll consider this morning is found in the Old Testament, where the Lord inspired the prophet Isaiah to prophesy about one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 53, we're told that this one man, this one man, would take our suffering, carry our sorrows, and endure the punishment that was due for our transgressions. Isaiah's prophecy tells us that all this was according to God's will, and as a result, God the Father saw the humble obedience of this one man, his son, our Lord Jesus, and he was completely satisfied. The prophecy goes on to tell us that by the actions of this one man, many have had their failures forgiven. By the actions of this one man, many will be justified. In the eyes of God. Because this one man willingly gave his life and was treated like a criminal, the Father crowned him and honored him as the victor of all things. Now, one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone might dare to die. But God demonstrated his love towards you. That while you were yet a sinner, this one man, Christ Jesus, died for you. What a wonderful Savior, amen? Amen. The second prophecy I want to focus on this morning, the one that we'll spend more time on, well, it comes from an unlikely source. Going back to my mention of the NCAA basketball tournament, March Madness. During those few weeks in March, there are over 60 games that are played across the nation. It's, it's just unbelievable what takes place. And millions of Americans, they fill out what's called these brackets, where they try to predict who's going to be the national champion. And Warren Buffett, for years now, has uh, offered millions of dollars for the one who can fill out that bracket perfectly. And you know how many has done it? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> uh, now, during, during March Madness, there are countless radio and television interviews where players and coaches predict that their team is going to win the next game. And you, you expect that, Right? I mean, that's what players are supposed to do. That's what coaches are supposed to do. They're to predict that they're going to win the next game and the next game and the next game. 
All my years of playing sports and watching sports, I've never heard a player or a coach ever say, I I think the other guy's going to (laughs) win. Never. It's never happened. Never. When I was in high school, I was on the wrestling team, and wrestling is, is quite a unique sport because there's no one else to blame but you. It's man on man. And I have to say that I never stepped onto a wrestling mat thinking that I was going to lose. I never stepped on a wrestling mat thinking, well, the other guy's going to win. If I thought that, then I should have just forfeited. I should have never put myself through all that pain and suffering. Now, even though I had my share of losses, I always had the mindset that I was going to win. My coaches taught me, I don't care if you're playing ping pong with your kid's sister, you play to win. (laughs) Now, I never had a kid's sister, I never had a sister at all, but my coaches must have had a bad experience with their kid's sister, and she must have been very good at ping pong. But you get the idea. You play to win. But in this second prophecy, the opponent prophesies that the other guy is going to win. That's odd, right? And that's what makes this prophecy so interesting. So let me kind of set the scene here. It's Jesus' final weeks of ministry, and he just has performed his greatest and most miraculous miracle of all. That is raising Lazarus from the dead. And the Bible tells us that as a result of this miracle, many people believe that Jesus, this one man, was the Lord's Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council, and they were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the chief priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people. And that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this on his own initiative. But being the high priest that year. He prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not only for the nation. But in order that he might also gather to himself unto one. The children of God who are scattered abroad. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Caiaphas's prophecy. Now we see that the council was like the supreme court of the Jewish nation. And convening the council on such a quick notice was very, very hard to do. But we see the reason why the chief priests and the Pharisees convened this council was to develop a strategy of survival. A strategy of survival. You see, after the resurrection of Lazarus, more and more people believed that Jesus was the king 
and the, the long-awaited Messiah. And this threatened the Pharisees' position as religious leaders. They could not let this one man take away their prestige. The Pharisees also feared that Jesus' popularity might cause the Romans to think that there was an insurrection brewing and they would take away the autonomy that they, the Pharisees had grown to enjoy during Roman rule. So, they could not allow this one man to take away their freedom to rule. Now, the council was unsure about how to deal with this perplexing situation. So, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, Caiaphas's solution was simple enough. Kill Jesus! And his rationale seemed logical enough. We kill Jesus so the Romans don't kill us. Basically, it's better that one man die so that the nation lives. Now, what is really interesting about this prophecy is the inspired interpretation of Caiaphas' words that are given to us directly after he speaks them. This is a divine editorial, if you would. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together unto one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Caiaphas' perspective was a selfish solution. The words that he spoke were selfish and had murderous motivation. But I want you to see that God used his words for his sovereign good. Like Balaam's donkey, the Lord opened up Caiaphas' mouth and he spoke the words of the gospel. It is expedient for you that one man die for the people. The psalmist was right. People devise vain things and the rulers of this world take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed. But the one who sits in heaven laughs because he has installed his king upon his holy mountain. Amen? Amen? Yes, it is expedient that one man die for the people. Now Caiaphas, this was not Caiaphas's brainchild. This was God's sovereign plan from the beginning. And nothing no earthly ruler, no religious leader, no demon in hell was going to stop the full execution of God's sovereign purpose that one man, <laughs> one man would die 
for the people. Brothers and sisters, on this Resurrection Sunday, we need to know that what others mean for evil, God will work out for our good. Amen? No matter what you are going through today, God can make a way where there seems to be no way. Let me just say it one more time. God can make a way where there seems to be no way. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that no weapon fashioned against us will prosper and every tongue that accuses you in judgment will be condemned. This is the heritage of the Lord's servants and their vindication comes from me, saith the Lord. The point is that even though Caiaphas's heart was full of a selfish solution with a murderous motivation. The Lord's sovereign purpose was going to be accomplished by this one man, Jesus Christ. He is our sovereign substitute. Caiaphas' prophecy is true. It is expedient for you that one man die for the people. And this man, this one man, the Bible tells us, was delivered up by the predestinated plan and foreknowledge of God. He was nailed to the cross by godless men and he was put to death. And we know that through the obedience of this one man, the many will be made righteous. We know that by the grace of this one man, the grace of God will abound to many. We know that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Amen? And we know that this one man shed his precious blood as a lamb, a lamb unblemished and spotless. Brothers and sisters, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, and the one who made the end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, God the justice satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon us. He is our sovereign substitute. This one man did what we could not do. We needed a substitute. He took our place. He bore our failures. He made satisfactory atonement for, for us. Jesus Christ died in our place when he was crucified on that cross. We deserve to be the ones placed on that cross because we were the ones who had fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus committed no sin, nor any deceit was found in his mouth. But Jesus willingly took the punishment, our punishment, upon himself. He took our place. He substituted himself for us. He took what we deserved. It is true that God made him to be him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. He is our sovereign substitute. God accomplished through Christ what we could never have accomplished. 
to satisfy divine justice. Brothers and sisters, there is one mediator between God and man, and that's the one man, Jesus Christ. You have to remember that there's a gap between us and God that's wider than the Grand Canyon. But Jesus takes his stand in that gap, and he grants us access to the Father. If you want a visual, it's as if when Jesus' hands were spread on that cross, he created a divine bridge between us and God, being the one mediator, the one access, the one way to the Father, because he is our sovereign substitute. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The, the, the gospel can be summarized in such a simple little phrase. I can't, but Jesus did. And my life living to the glory of God can be summarized in a simple phrase. I can't, but Jesus can't. Jesus Christ is our sovereign substitute for our salvation. And Jesus Christ is our sovereign substitute for our sanctification. I can't, but Jesus did. I can't, but Jesus can. And thanks be to God that we have a sovereign substitute in the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now notice that God's sovereign substitute is the great shepherd for the scattered sheep. For he gathers to himself the scattered flock of God's people. Remember, again, the inspired interpretation of Caiaphas' prophecy tells us that he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that, the great purpose clause of the New Testament, but in order that he might also gather together unto one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Let's, let's start getting a little bit personal here, all right? Each of us are like sheep who had gone astray. Each one of us had turned to our own way. Doing our own thing. Living our own life. Doing what makes us happy. Fulfilling the pleasures of our lust and our minds and our bodies. But the great shepherd came for those of us who have been scattered abroad. And he gathers us into himself. See, the great shepherd doesn't care where you've been. And he doesn't have any regard to what you have done. The great shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep. See, the cross of Jesus Christ is the great gathering post for the people of God, as Jesus told us, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And as the prophet tells us, and he will arise, the shepherd of his flock, and in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, this one is our peace. Jesus Christ gathers us into himself. Brothers and sisters, as I conclude this Sunday morning, this Resurrection Sunday, 
I want to make one more important point about Caiaphas's prophecy. Caiaphas said, it is expedient for you that one man die. Notice, it is expedient for you. For you. Now, we're not talking about everybody else here now. We're talking about you. And I want you to embrace the prophecy this morning that says it is expedient, it's necessary, it's very important for you to understand that one man died for you. It's, it's the, the greatest news at all, of all. That one man died for you. And it is expedient. It is, it's so important. It is so necessary that you embrace the truth of the gospel. That God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son, the one man, that whoever would believe upon him would not perish, but have everlasting life to the praise and the glory of his name. God demonstrated his love to us while we were lost and gone astray. Christ died so that we might be brought back into the fold of God. This is great news that Jesus Christ left the 99 to go looking for you, for you, for you. (laughs) And he doesn't care why you left. And he doesn't care where you've been. He just wants you to know. That as your good shepherd, he laid down his life for you as a sovereign substitute. No greater news can I express to you this morning. No greater news can I express to you on this Resurrection Sunday. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You. It's for you. It's for you. There's no greater news that we could hear that on this Lord's Day, on this Resurrection Sunday, 2018, that God spoke to your heart and drew you into himself and you embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and gain eternal access to heaven. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, this one man died for you. And if God is speaking to your heart today, if he's drawing you into himself today, I I want you to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want you to claim him as your Lord and your Savior. And I want you to confess that God has raised him from the dead, that God overcame all difficulties, all darkness, all all things through Christ's resurrection. And I want you to claim, not because of your work or because of your merit, but I want you to claim by the mercies of God found in Jesus Christ that you're saved. Brothers and sisters, on this Resurrection Sunday, we should have jubilation, exceeding great joy, an hysterical happiness for the one man 
Jesus Christ, who has died for us and has gained the victory for us. It's Sunday. We closed out the Good Friday service, and I read a poem from you from Reverend Lockridge. It's Friday, but Sundays are coming. It's Friday, but Sundays are coming. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, Sunday's here. He is risen. He is risen. I'm telling you, the Fridays are gone. Sundays is here. Your depression, the doubt, the discouragement, the disillusionment, the death, the abuse, the disease that you have suffered, it's Sunday. The Fridays of this world and the Fridays of our past are gone. It's Sunday. He has risen. The Bible tells us that when Christ will glorify us on that great day, that the great shepherd, this one man, Jesus Christ, will wipe away every tear from our eye. But Jesus taught me that we should pray for thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm here to tell you it's Sunday. It's Sunday. And the Holy Spirit is here by the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ and the love of God for your soul to wipe away all the tears from your eyes. Because it's Sunday. He is risen. risen Allow God to work deep in your heart today so that we together as God's people who all of us who are scattered abroad, but now have been brought together as one man. Let us together glorify God for giving us this one man who is the victor of our souls. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today thanking you for the good news. The good news that you By your love, sent forth your son to provide a bridge, to provide access to you, Jesus Christ. Jesus, I confess today that you are my Lord. I ask you, Lord, to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Claim me as a child of God, not because I deserve it, but because you are so great. Lord, I believe that you've raised Christ from the dead and now the power of the resurrection lives in me. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit that you would give me a full dose of that resurrection power so that I so that all the darkness of this world will be passed away and the light of the resurrection of Christ would be seen in my life. Lord God, for your glory. For your glory, let there be honor and praise. For you loved us and sent us this one man, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.